my ruins, resurrected. God, this is the end. You can't tell me you can make the dead in me come back to life. Everything turns to ashes, but without the hope of revival. Imagine living with faith in God. I can't. Get back on my feet, I stumble and fall, but I am too weak to make it on my own. So my only option is surrender. I throw my hands in the air. I give up. I ruin everything I touch. It's foolish to think that God can restore my life. Wait, God can restore my life. It's foolish to think that I ruin everything I touch. I give up. I throw my hands in the air. Surrender is my only option. I'm too weak to make it on my own, so I stumble and fall, but get back on my feet with faith in God. I can't imagine living without the hope of revival. Everything turns to ashes, but you can make the dead in me come back to life. You can't tell me this is the end. God resurrected my ruins. I saw that maybe Wednesday, Thursday. It was so, so powerful. Um, you know, God resurrected my ruins. We're going to be using that as our kind of sermon introduction for the next couple of, couple of weeks. But do just take a moment, if you get a chance, to, to watch that video again. It's, it's so powerful just to watch the way they do it. And um, the words in there are great. Um, it's a special day today. You might not know this, but two years ago today, we came to Newbridge. Uh, two years ago today, we came to Newbridge. Actually, that's not quite accurate, but we came to Newbridge on Palm Sunday when we knew we were hoping to come and lead the church. It was Palm Sunday was the day. It was January 2019 that we came for the very, very first time. Uh, we came back. You obviously liked us enough to invite us back in the February. We came back to speak again. Uh, then we came again in March. And then finally we came for the very last time on Palm Sunday. And it was our opportunity to share a bit of vision because we'd gone in those four months from a mindset of, if I'm honest, coming in the January just to test the water, to see what we thought God was saying, to see how we felt. But then we came back on Palm Sunday two years ago and we knew it was where God was calling us. We knew it was where God was putting us because we, we knew God had called us to come and do something special with you. We had our interview the next day. And what are two years? What uh, two years? And we're, we're grateful to God because he's brought us through. You know, we're thankful as a family for his provision, but also as a church, we're, we're thankful to God as a family for his presence in every step. We're thankful to God as a church for his presence. And in every decision, we know that God has been with us. We know God's gone before us and we are thankful for all that God has done. But it says in Isaiah, forget all that because I'm about to do a new thing. Can't you see it? It's already begun. And do you know what? I'm excited about what God's got in store as we, as we discover this new world that is about to kind of dawn on us as we, as we come into what we might call post-COVID. I'm excited for what God's got in store. I genuinely am. And we're going to look at a, a three-part series this morning, looking at the events of Easter. And we've called it Hope Restored. And what I want to do is over the next three 
messages unpack the Easter week. So uh, part one is, is today. We're going to look at Palm Sunday particularly. Uh, part two will be on Good Friday. So we're going to meet on Good Friday at 10 a.m. Uh, we would ask if you're hoping to come, please do make sure you've booked in so we can make sure we can fit you in. And then on Sunday morning, Easter Sunday, we're going to look at part three. But we've called it Hope Restored. Because at several times in the Eastern narrative, even this late in Jesus' life, people have their hope restored. People find their hope restored. And to us, hope restored means freedom. It means freedom from your past. It means freedom from your pain. It means freedom from your hurts, freedom from your habits, freedom from your hang-ups. You know, Jesus said that he came that you'd have life and life to the full. And if you've got a hurt, if you've got a pain, if you've got a habit, if you've got a hang-up, that's not life to the full. Jesus came that you would have life to the full. He came so that you would have your hope restored, that you would find freedom. And that means being free of anything that would hold you back from being who God called you to be. You know, Jesus said, who the sun sets free is what? Free indeed. Not a bit free not 90% free, 100% free. You are free indeed. And there are individuals and groups of people, if you look at the last week of Jesus' life, who find freedom, who have their hope restored. And I want to look this morning at the triumphant entry, the triumphant entry of Jesus as he goes into Jerusalem. And I want to come from two perspectives. The first perspective, I want to come from Mark's Gospel and then the second, I'd like to come from John's. Um, and I will explain to you where we're going as we do this. Because this event, is, is the entry into Jerusalem, it's in all four Gospels. So it's obviously important. And it, it serves as the, the event that starts what we know as Passion Week, the last week of Jesus' life. In four days, Jesus will be arrested in four days. And Jesus knows this. He knows what's going to happen because Luke tells us he set his face towards Jerusalem. He knew what was going to happen. Another translation says he resolutely set out. He knows where he's going. He knows what he's about to do. He knows what he's about to go through and he goes. He set his face to Jerusalem. Two years ago, we set our face to Newbridge. We knew where we were coming. We knew what we had to do. We didn't maybe know what, how that would work, but we knew what the job was. So we set our face out. And, and I want to give you some context to this passage a little bit because there may have been another procession that day. There may have been another procession earlier that week or maybe in the coming days. Definitely soon there would be another procession into Jerusalem. It might not have happened yet. It might have already happened. We can't say, but there would have been another procession because of the other, the other side of the city. Jesus is coming from the east. He'd come from the east side of the city to the west side. I know where you're sitting, that looks like totally the wrong way around, but trust me, from my side it works. He's coming from the east to the west. Pilate was coming from the west, and he was entering Jerusalem on the opposite side of the city. And, and as he entered Jerusalem, because he was the Roman prefect, there would be a procession. And what happened, it was tradition that the Roman rulers would come into Jerusalem for key festivals. And there was two reasons for this. The first reason was security. 
a major Jewish festival, lots of fervent Jews who probably didn't like the Romans too much. So what the Romans would do, they would come into the city in force at festival times, basically for security, to, to boost the number of soldiers and troops to keep the peace. But also because the Jewish leaders needed access to their clothes. And I know that sounds strange, but what the Romans did when they, when they conquered Judea is they took the ceremonial robes away from the priests. So basically, the priests needed these robes to fulfill their, their, their duties at festival times, but the Romans had them. So Pilate would come in every festival time in a great big procession and hand over the clothes the Jewish leaders needed to fulfill their jobs. And it was a way of the Romans saying, just remember who's in charge here. Without those clothes, Passover couldn't happen. And so Pilate's procession, it comes in, and it involves maybe hundreds of chariots, soldiers, horses, shields, spears. You could, you could probably see the silver glittering from all over the city, and it's this huge display of power. It's this huge display of, of dominance. You know, the, the king has arrived in Jerusalem, and he was there simply to make sure the Jews remembered who was in charge. Now imagine what's happening on the other side of the city. On the west side, we've got, we've got a throne, we've got horses, we've got chariots, we've got shields, we've got soldiers. On the other side, we've got a donkey. And that's it. And some leaves. Mark's gospel says this, says that Jesus sent two disciples ahead of him to fetch a donkey. And, and verse 2 in, in Mark 11 says this, Jesus says to them, go to that village over there. As soon as you enter it, you'll see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks what are you doing, just say the Lord needs it and we'll return it soon. The two disciples left and found the colt standing in the street, tied outside the front door. As they were untying it, some bystanders demanded, what are you doing untying that colt? They said what Jesus told them to say, and they were permitted to take it. And I've always found it interesting, just as a side note, that nothing in this passage surprises anyone. The disciples get to Uh, this this place where the donkey is. Jesus said there'd be a donkey and there it was. But there's no clue in the text that the disciples are surprised. There's no clue in the text that they're kind of, you know, in previous passages we've seen that the disciples marveled or the disciples wondered. Here, they just go in, see the donkey, take it and go. And I've got got a theory that that this was prearranged by Jesus, but but there's something I want, to, I want to say here that stuck out to me is verse 6. They said what Jesus told them to say, and they were permitted to take it. They said what Jesus told them to say, and they were permitted to take it. And I just want to pause on that for a moment because these disciples, they went where Jesus told them to go. They saw what Jesus told them they would see. They did what Jesus told them they should do. They said what Jesus told them they should say, and they received what Jesus said they'd receive. Two years ago, we committed to going where Jesus had told us to go. 
Two years ago, we began to see what Jesus told us we would see. Two years ago, we began to do and began to speak what we thought or we felt or even what we knew Jesus had told us to say. Now, Jesus didn't promise us a donkey. And we haven't received everything he promised yet. I can tell you that. But we're, we're positioned to receive it. Why? Because we obeyed. Because we did what Jesus told us to do. And can I encourage you this morning that, that when you go where Jesus calls you to go, when you do what Jesus calls you to do, when you say what Jesus calls you to say, you'll receive what Jesus said you'll receive. They said what Jesus told them to say, and they received. And Jesus goes ahead, ahead of the disciples, and he goes ahead of us. Because I think this was prearranged. I think Jesus went into Jerusalem sometime around about November the year before, and he went to Jerusalem, and he'd arranged this all for them. There's no clue in this text that this is a miracle, but it's because Jesus went ahead. Jesus went on before they got there. You know, Jesus goes ahead of us. Jesus goes on before us. Deuteronomy 31 says, don't be afraid. Do not be discouraged. The Lord will personally go ahead of you. He will be with you. He will neither fail you or abandon you. You know, Jesus has gone ahead. When we sat this time last year and we were told on the TV to stay in our homes, do you know what? Jesus went ahead. And he's been with us. And he hasn't failed us. And he hasn't abandoned us. Isn't it great to have a Savior who made a way? Isn't it great to have a Savior that goes before us, no matter what we might face, no matter what challenges might come against us, no matter how difficult life gets, we have a Savior who went ahead. Jesus has made a way. Psalm 23, we all know it says that he leads me. He guides me. I won't be afraid. Why? Because it says in Psalm 23, he's close beside me. He protects me. He comforts me. His goodness and unfailing love pursues me. It not only goes ahead of me, it follows me. Church says that there's hope in knowing that in every situation, God is with us. God is for us, and God goes ahead of us. And, and whether this moment is prophetic or, or prearranged, it doesn't matter. God made a way, but the disciples had to obey. And whether this is prophetic or prearranged, the, the details have to be right. It has to be a donkey. It has to actually be a colt. Because in Zechariah, I think it's 9, 9, Zechariah said that the Messiah would come riding a colt. And this was a deliberate prophetic statement. Jesus was about to announce himself as the Messiah. Now again, picture this. Shields, chariots, soldiers, horses, Donkey, not a normal donkey, a colt. How high is a colt? Three foot. It would be like me riding across the stage on Naomi's bike. And I want you to picture that. The difference that Jesus comes into Jerusalem. This is not a kingdom of power. This is not a kingdom of strength. This is not a kingdom of force. This is a kingdom of peace. This is a kingdom of life. This, this celebration would have been a party. 
as Jesus entered into Jerusalem. And Jesus hops on this donkey. I mean, I'm not even convinced Jesus rode it because I think his legs would have been too long. I've just got this image of Jesus kind of waddling in with this donkey in between his legs because the donkey wouldn't have been tall enough. And I want you to imagine this scene that there are hundreds of thousands of fervent Jews gathering outside Jerusalem because this was the most important Jewish festival of the year. If we turn to John 11, John 11 gives us a bit of context here. And he says this, it was now almost time for the Jewish Passover celebration and many people from all over the country arrived in Jerusalem several days early so they could go through the purification ceremony before Passover began. So there are people here in and around Jerusalem who've come early for Passover because they need to get ritually clean, they need to get ceremonially clean, they probably need to find a good campsite to pitch up their tent and it goes on, they kept looking for Jesus. But as they stood around in the temple, they said to each other, what do you think? He won't come to Passover, will he? Meanwhile, the leading priests and Pharisees had publicly ordered that anyone seeing Jesus must report it immediately so they could arrest him. And again, to give you some context, if you're a Jew living in first century Judea, it was almost a, a, a command that you made it to Jerusalem for Passover. It was one of those things you were expected to travel. If you could travel, you were expected to get to Jerusalem for Passover. There were three festivals you had to attend every year. Sukkot, which is the, the festival of tabernacles. Pa uh, Pentecost, which was a, another Jewish festival. That, that, that's when we get the Holy Spirit. It happened on the Jewish day of Pentecost. And Passover, they were the three. And there was an expectation, if you could travel, you went, and you went to Jerusalem. And, and when you got there, you had to bring your annual offering. You brought your offering to the temple, and you also bought either an animal yourself, or you brought money to buy an animal to sacrifice. And so these people have traveled to Jerusalem. They've got there early to get themselves ceremonially pure. They've got themselves ready for Passover. But I want you to notice this in the text. Who are they looking for? They're looking for Jesus. They're there for religion, but they're looking for Jesus. They are there to perform a, a ritual. They're there to perform a ceremony that they've performed over and over and over again, but they are looking for Jesus. And every year it would have been the same. Every year they took the same route. Every year they went through the same rituals. Every year they went through the same routines. Every year they prayed exactly the same prayers. And, and what was meant to be a celebration, Passover was the celebration of the Jews being rescued from Egypt. What was meant to be a celebration had become a tradition. What was meant to be a celebration and, and a festival of faith had become religious. It had become stale. They were stuck in the bondage of tradition. And for some of them, it's got stale. For some of them, it's got old. I would, I would suggest that some of them are only there because their religion demanded it. This is just what we do. But while they're there, they're looking for Jesus. And for the first time in years, I, I just see in this text hope rising in the people. 
that they are looking for Jesus. They're there for the festival, but they're looking for Jesus because they know Jesus might be there as well, and they start to get excited. You know, I get excited when we come to church because we might actually meet with Jesus. We might actually have an encounter with the reason Jesus, that we might actually receive from Jesus as we come in. You know, we don't do church to just do church. We don't do church to go through the motions. We do church so that people will encounter Jesus. We come to church, but we're looking for Jesus. And these devout Jews, they they gravitate to Jesus. And I want to suggest it's because Jesus is more appealing than religion. Jesus is more appealing than religion or tradition. Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Now, on one level, that makes sense. But when you look at the amplified version, it says this. Come to me, all who are weary and heavily burdened. Burdened by what? By religious rituals that provide no peace. And I will give you rest. And so here we have people who've been burdened by empty religion, empty tradition, but they're looking for Jesus. And then Jesus arrives. John 12 says, The next day, the news that Jesus was on the way swept through the city. A large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches and went down the road to meet him. They shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the King of Israel. This crowd, this crowd of travelers, they have come to Jerusalem for this festival, but they've been looking for Jesus. And the, thing, the problem with Jerusalem, Jerusalem was a big city, but it wasn't big enough for the, this sudden influx of pilgrims. So what would happen? There was no high-rise holiday inn or travel lodge. You, you couldn't get, um, what's that one where you just book it, someone's, you sleep in someone's house for a week? What's it called? Airbnb. Yeah, that didn't exist in first century Jerusalem. So you had to find somewhere to stay. So what you would do, you would camp on the hill. And you'd camp on the hillside outside Jerusalem. And the best hill to camp on, the Mount of Olives. And so Jesus comes over the Mount of Olives, right into the campsite where there are thousands of Jews waiting to celebrate Passover. And he comes right the way through them, and they start to sing, Hosanna, save now, or save us now. You know, what did Jesus say? Come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened by religious rituals that provide no rest. And the crowd are saying, save us, save us now, save us from dead religion, bring us salvation. There is, there is hope here that Jesus brings salvation Salvation from from stale, boring, dead religion and tradition and into life, into joy. And, And for us, I wonder if that's our cry this morning. God, save us. Save us from our habits. Save us from our addictions. An addiction can become a tradition. Save us from our traditions. Save us from our habits. Save us from anything that we've put in our lives that doesn't honor you. Save us from our hurts. Save us from our pain. Jesus, save us. Jesus said that he came that you might have life and life to the full.
Jesus died that you would have life. In four days, Jesus will be taken prisoner so that we could be set free. I'm going to invite the band up as I come to a close, but I just want to just go one step further and touch on the, on the symbolism of the day this happens. Because this event is probably taking place on what's called the 10th of, of Nisan, which in the Jewish calendar, there was a, a, a commandment that this was the day the Passover lamb was selected. God said to the Israelites in Exodus, tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. By three o'clock on Friday, that lamb had to be slaughtered. But it was chosen on the Sunday. And that's what would happen for hundreds of years. They would select a lamb on the 10th day and they would hold it for four days and they would check it for any blemishes, any impurities, any sign that it wasn't pure. And when they knew it was pure, on the 14th, they would slaughter it. And so here's Jesus on the 10th of Nisan on Lamb Selection Day announcing himself as the Lamb. Announcing himself as the Lamb of God. Jesus entered Jerusalem on the very day the Lamb would be chosen. You know, John the Baptist said about Jesus, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Paul says about Jesus, this is Christ, our Passover Lamb. Peter says that Jesus never sinned. He never deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted and did not threaten revenge when he suffered. Jesus was spotless. He was sinless. He was the only one who could be the Passover lamb. You know, Paul says that God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we would be made right with God through Christ. And it's amazing from, from Genesis to Revelation, we see this theme of Jesus being the Lamb of God, that there'll be salvation through a Lamb. Abraham says God himself will provide a Lamb. And in Revelation, the angels sing, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb of God who died that we might have life. The Lamb of God who was beaten so that we might be healed. The Lamb of God who bled that we might be saved. The Lamb of God who came to bring good news to the poor, to, to comfort the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners. The Lamb of God whose blood breaks every chain, Every chain of bondage, every chain of sin, every chain of guilt, every chain of shame this morning. And we can sing with confidence, my chains are gone. I've been set free. 
my God, the Lamb of God, my Savior, has ransomed me. Church, can I encourage you just to stand to your feet? And let's just give God praise this morning for the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb who came to break every chain. The Lamb who came to give us amazing grace. The Lamb who came that we might have our hearts revived, our hope restored, and our lives rebuilt.